Previously on Flying the Line, Alpa was a strong voice for the pilots flying in the early days of commercial passenger aviation. The association had successfully fought off multiple attempts by airline operators to undercut both pay and safety to make a few extra bucks. Through Alpa's deft handling of the aftermath of the TWA Flight 6 accident, which killed a prominent United States Senator, Alpa showed airline operators that it would in fact be mutually beneficial to work in tandem with labor in order to guarantee job security and safe working conditions. Behind all of Alpa's gains in influence and reputation was its founder and first president, Dave Banky. Welcome to the Flying the Line podcast, a look into the past of the Airline Pilots Association, abridged from the book Flying the Line by George E. Hopkins. Chapter 10, Dave Banky, An American Success Story, Part 1. So who was Dave Banky? To the general public, he was a nobody. But in the air transportation industry, he had become a legend who was known as the obscure United Airlines pilot who came out of nowhere to forge a labor organization rivaling in power with the industry's corporate giants. Like many leaders before him, he was a bit of an enigma. Even his closest professional associates admit they hardly knew Banky beyond superficially. A few old-timers speculate his distance may have been a result of many friends' deaths. Men like H.A. Collison of United, Hal George of TWA, or Clyde Hallbrook of American Airlines, all lost in crashes from the early 1930s. Banky himself used to encourage people to believe that his early friendships with these men were so deep that they were past replacing. While speculations hold an element of truth, Banky's friendships were always more professional than personal. He was reserved and distant from beginning to end. Those within Alpa who associated closely with him unanimously agree that they never really understood what made Dave Banky tick. All agreed that he was driven by intense, compulsive forces that only Banky himself understood, and understood poorly at that. He was easily predictable. His colleagues could anticipate his reaction to every event or crisis. They also admit that there was an air of mystery to him. They never knew why he risked his career to organize labor, why he was at once the most generous of souls and the most vindictive, why his judgment could be so sure in some areas and so faulty in others, why he was a leader. To answer our questions, Banky did leave some clues. Let's return to 1938, Banky's shining hour of triumph and the last full year of peace in the United States before World War II. By 1938, Banky could look back with satisfaction on nearly a decade of achievement. The capstone of his success was the passage of the Civil Aeronautics Act of 1938, with its full federal guarantee of wages and working conditions for airline pilots. Starting in 1931, with nothing but a pilot's job at Boeing Air Transport and an idea, Banky produced dramatic changes. 
Despite opposition from the Air Transport Association, which was hastily formed in 1935 by airline managements to lobby Congress, Banky won battle after battle in Washington. He secured passage of the Pilot's Amendment to the Railway Labor Act in 1936, thus removing the necessity for strike confrontations. The act was originally written in 1926 to prevent strikes on the railroads. The inclusion of airline pilots under this law, with its machinery of conciliation and adjustment boards to hear grievances, was probably Banky's most long-standing achievement. Airline pilots today still benefit directly from the provisions of this act. Thanks to ALPA's activities, Congress had come to recognize the professional airline pilot as an indispensable component of the airline industry, without which the system could not function. Banky had succeeded in portraying the professional airline pilot as an individual whose personal welfare was in the nation's general interest. Banky was at the pinnacle of his success in late 1938, looking to a future of limitless possibilities. He had already begun the final countdown on collective bargaining agreements with each airline. By now, it was simply a matter of circumstance and timing as to which pilot group would be first to have a contract. The slow pace of contract negotiations bothered some ALPA members, but Banky was in no hurry. Two years prior, the 1936 ALPA convention sparked intense conversations about collective bargaining, agreeing on a standard set of negotiating points. Banky treaded lightly, which signaled his cautious approach, especially since the passage of the Railway Labor Act Amendment made his bargaining base essentially secure. May 1936 brought fear that Colonel Edgar Gorrell, head of ATA, had outsmarted him on the Railway Labor Act. What if ALPA signed a contract and the operators followed the procedures specified in the Railway Labor Act for breaking a contract, and the court subsequently upheld it? Would a contract supersede the pilot protective provisions in the Airmail Acts of 1934 and 1935? If so, would he not be jeopardizing those laws by negotiating a contract? Any contract? It was far-fetched, but this kind of thinking reveals Banky's hesitation and suspicion. Banky deliberately waited another three years before finally approving a collective bargaining agreement. Well after the passage of the 1938 legislation was complete, and legal counsel had advised him that his fears of an end run by the operators to kill Decision 83 were baseless. By March 1939, companies were racing to see who would reach the signing of the first contract. Two months later, American won the race. Cyrus Smith signed the contract for the company, while Banky, Wellington McPhail, Walter Hewen, and co-pilot representative Harry Clark signed for the pilots. This first working agreement between American and its 279 pilots covered not only pay, but also expenses, hours on duty, seniority rights on bulletined runs, in addition to leaves of absence, promotions, and provisions for investigations and grievance settling. A milestone had been reached. Banky, a simple farm boy from Wisconsin, now headed a union representing the majority of the nation's airline pilots. 
He had been in the Oval Office of the President of the United States for the ceremonial signing of important pieces of legislation on several occasions. His testimony was usually the high point of dozens of congressional hearings he attended. Newspapers sought him out for comment. Prestigious groups such as the Aeromedical Association invited him to speak at their annual conventions. And learned publications such as the Journal of Air, Law, and Commerce named him to their boards of editorial advisors. His standing was so high that the 1938 ALPA convention re-elected him without a single dissenting vote. David Lewis Bankey had certainly climbed the ranks. His early years were shaped by his hard-scrabble farmer family of German immigrant ancestry. Money was tight, the family atmosphere somber, and education was a rare privilege, clearly secondary to the long hours of farm duties. Recreation consisted of weekly attendance at church services. Early in his adolescence, Banky attended a county fair that featured one of the era's typical commercial exhibitions of flying. It was a common dream among small-town youth of that era to go flying, to soar across mountains and rivers, to be free. No more tedious farm chores, no more rules laid down by strict parents, no more ordinary worries. Only those that really mattered, like life and death. While his peers shared the same dream, not one acted upon it. But Banky did. He was breaking out of the pack. Young men yearning to fly but lacking the financial resources had only one path open to them, the U.S. Army. Because he needed help on the farm, young Banky's father angrily denied him permission to enlist. Although he was just 16 years old and had limited formal education, Banky ran away from home. He headed for Milwaukee to enlist, but his false identification claiming he was 18 didn't match his youthful appearance, so the Army turned him down. With nowhere left to go and fear of returning to his family, he turned to the only thing he knew, dairy farming. He got a low-paying job doing the most menial work in a big dairy on the outskirts of town. But after six months of hard work, he contracted tuberculosis and was sent home to die. The family atmosphere was strained at first, but Banky and his father made their peace. In 1914, Banky's father began reaping the benefits of the economic turn towards American agriculture. The outbreak of the war in Europe spurred demands for American products of all kinds, and farmers got more than their share. The Banky family rapidly advanced from near poverty into the comfortable middle class. Simultaneously, young Dave Banky surprised his doctors by making a dramatic recovery from tuberculosis. By 1915, Banky received his blessings from his family to enlist in the Army. His goal was to become an enlisted pilot in the Signal Corps, but the closest thing Banky got to an airplane was peeling potatoes in an aviation unit. And the most thrilling thing that happened to him was rear area support duty during General Pershing's pursuit of Pancho Villa into Mexico in 1916. But because he had established a good reputation as a buck private, Banky was sent to San Diego for flight instruction after the Pershing expedition came to an end. While there, he became a corporal 
and a designated pilot. Soon, he was able to parlay his new piloting skill and native ability into a commission and an instructor's billet. If it was up to Banky, he would have stayed in the Army. But his lack of formal education made him a poor choice to the selection boards that determined such things. In 1919, the Army released Banky to make his way in the world of civil aviation. There can be no doubt that Banky was disappointed, especially as World War I came to a close. Over the next few years, he would request active duty several times. Thank you for listening. This has been part one of chapter 10 of Flying the Line by George E. Hopkins. Copyright 1982. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast. To listen and subscribe to more in this series, please check us out online at alba.org or on iTunes, Stitcher, or other podcast platforms. Until next time, this is the Flying the Line podcast, a look into the past of the Airline Pilots Association. Production copyright ALPA 2020. All rights reserved.